This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Soccer show and our AFCON group stage roundup. So far, we've seen impressive runs from Cape Verde, Equatorial Guinea, Angola, and Senegal. And not so impressive runs from Algeria, Ghana, and Tunisia. And we've also seen goals, goals, goals galore. 89 goals from 36 games, to be precise. And no goalless draws until the final match day. Wow. There's lots to get into. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me in his Cape Verde by Leverkusen half and half shirt, it's Taylor Rocco. Hello. <laughs> I would buy that half and half. I wouldn't. But I would enjoy it because I'm I'm proud of both teams, especially Cape Verde. I don't know what will happen in the knockout round, but I am... Uh, stoked that they are here and that we're still talking about them. Yes, indeed. Here joining us to talk about them, it's Joseph Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, it's me. I'm joining us to talk about AFCON. That's what we're doing today. I am very excited. This tournament has been awesome, except for the format, which sucks, but we'll get to that later. Well, let's get to that sooner and later, I say, Joe. But before we do that, Graham Rutherford joining us also. Happy Rabbi Burns Nate to you, Graham. It's <laughs> it's that thing today, apparently. Hello, Robbie Burns Day night, whatever to you too, Ryan Bale. As you can tell, I'm I'm really up to uh, up to scratch with all the traditions around Scotland's most famous poet. All it means to me is I get to have haggis, neeps, and tatties for my dinner tonight. That is actually happening. So, Graham, this is that. a we try to keep this show clean. Can you can you not curse on Mike, please? <laughs> you you eat what? Haggis, neeps, and tatties. Once again, Graham, this is an English language podcast. Can you, can uh, you can... sheep's guts, uh, apples of the ground? And uh, I don't know how you describe turnips. Turnips. There you go. It's a delicious. Sad, I think tur- turnips are called sad apples of the ground. I think so. <laughs> sad apples of the ground and sad apples of the ground. Yeah. Taylor, Joe, I apologise for bringing up Robert Burns' night. Uh, yeah, we can move on you. from this uh, very quickly. I think. Uh, I think of the four of us, Graham was the least excited to talk about it. If we're being honest, so I think Graham is the one who should apologise for the Scottishness. Fair I enough. apologise. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, Graham. Plenty more Scottishness and also usness on uh, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Bonus content there and access to our Discord as well. Thank you for supporting us via that medium. If you do so, thank you very much indeed. One more time, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Joe, you mentioned the format of this tournament, the old 24-team format. There have been some calls or some suggestions that maybe this thing was better in 16 teams and maybe all tournaments are indeed better in 16 teams when you've got this kind of third place playoff and three game group stage it's eh, it's not the best yeah i wrote down in our doc at the top of it that the 2014 the 24 team tournament format is to international soccer not just afcon not just africa europe has this problem as well it is to international soccer what the mls playoff format is to club soccer which is or maybe just the mls like schedule period is to soccer like on the club side because you get so many games to still have some really poor teams make it on and I'm not talking about Cape Verde I'm I'm not talking about Angola teams that have come in and gotten results in the group stage there's a tweet from Daniel Story 
on on uh, on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it these days, who said, until I'm told differently, I think Egypt versus DR Congo might be the first ever major tournament knockout match between two teams on the men's side, I'm editorializing there, who haven't won any of their games in the tournament. DR Congo and Egypt did not win any games, and they're not even the third-place teams. They're both in second place. Some of the third-place teams, Ivory Coast won their first game, have since sacked their manager, and are still in the round of 16. You look at Mauritania, who I know Graham loves, and I don't want to disparage them. Like, one one win on the final day, one goal, one consequential goal gets you into the next round. None of this, to be honest, has really taken away from my enjoyment of this tournament in a major way, but I think everybody would agree that the 24-team tournament style is flawed in one way or another yeah Yeah, i think it sets you up to then once you get to the knockout round it can be a little bit more exciting but it has that vibe even more so than normal of like yeah but who knows what's actually going to matter ivory coast in most tournaments would be like wow the story of this tournament is the host nation bowed out in unspectacular fashion had the win and then just the the wheels came off then they're blown away four nil what an end of the tournament and now we're going to talk about them as a team that could potentially still make a run. It will be very unlikely given their opponent. But I think, Joe, it's the frustrating thing, and it's where the MLS, MLS playoff analogy is accurate, that on the one hand, I really do think it waters down the impact of the group stage and the enthusiasm for the group stage. At the same time, when you get to the knockout round, you then have more teams, and it is a little bit of like, okay, now the tournament's beginning. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I conceptually, I totally agree that the format isn't the best and I would rather either go with the 16 teams or the 32 pick one or the other but in practice there's been some real drama in the final match days of of, of these groups uh, certainly in group B when you had the Cape Verde and, and Egypt game and the Ghana Mozambique game and then was it Ken, uh, Cameroon Guinea yeah. as well in group C was there was some madness going on there as well and even even group or d get, with mauritania yeah but still. the gambia excuse me yeah um guinea were in that group as well it was only until yesterday really when we got to groups e and f where we had uh we hadn't had a goalless draw until yesterday and then we got three in one day and then the fourth mm. game was was one nil it wasn't until we got to groups e and f that i, that I think the format started to shine through and it started to mitigate some of that drama yeah, and also the, the three-game group stage, there's potential for what the Italians call a biscotto, where the uh, the results can be agreed in advance. I don't think we saw this in this tournament in particular, but um, that, that that kind of thing can happen when you have a, a, a third-game situation. But yeah, we avoided it. We just got no goals or virtually no goals in that last day of action, as you say, Graham. Uh, why don't we talk about Group A, though? Equatorial Guinea going through on top, Nigeria in second place, and... Graham, as we've noted there, the Ivory Coast going through, slipping through yeah. in third place there. And as Taylor noted, uh, they've got a slightly tricky knockout mm. game coming up against Senegal. Yeah, it's not the matchup that they would want, especially now that they don't have a manager. I don't really know what to make of the Ivory Coast's performances at this AFCON because they started very well. We spoke about their opening win over Guinea-Bissau. And while we didn't think they were outstanding, it was a pretty routine victory. Their midfield looked strong. Seko Fafana was a standout. And at that point, it felt like they would use that performance to improve and grow into the tournament. And instead... The complete opposite thing happened and I look at where it's gone wrong for for Ivory Coast and I don't have solid answers because I mean it's confusing to me but I think I maybe underestimated just how weak this Ivory Coast attack would be at this AFCON. Not not having Sebastian Hilaire has possibly been the biggest factor there as has uh, Simona Dingra's injury but the fact of the matter is that Ivory Coast's biggest goal threat in this tournament comes from the midfield in, in the form of Seko Fofana 
and I know Jean-Philippe Crasso scored that fantastic goal in the opening game that we talked about with a little flick to set himself up. But against Nigeria, he really struggled to take up good positions and he had one shot and it was off target in, in, in the whole match. And then he was dropped for the Equatorial Guinea match where uh, Gasset changed out his entire front line, which says just says to me that he he's kind of scrambling for solutions. Of course, he won't do that again because he's not in position any longer. I can't really recall a manager getting sacked midway through a tournament before, at least in a, a non-AFCON uh, tournament. So yeah, the, the attack very much seems to be letting Ivory Coast down but then that final game against Equatorial Guinea where they lose 4-0 I tweeted out the picture of the Brazilian the old Brazilian gentleman holding the the World Cup trophy as Brazil lose 7-0 to Germany in in their own World Cup it had that it had that kind of feeling to it and so I wonder how they bounce back from the kind of emotional damage of that defeat and also the sacking of their manager yeah, it's there's a ton of emotional whiplash going on with the Ivory Coast right now. This story is one of the all-time great stories of any international tournament to be hosting a competition to come out so strong in the first game, at least early on in the first game when it comes to Fafana and that banger, and then to just limp your way through and then get battered in that last game. And it, it wasn't like it was all one-way traffic in that lost Equatorial Guinea. I know that doesn't make any Ivory Coast fans feel any better, but they go down 1-0 in the first half, and then the second half just slips away from them, and Ivory Coast keep banging and banging in the final third, but they couldn't find a way through. Graham, and this is where I come to your point about the attack. I have that on my list, basically at the top of my list as well, the attack has not impressed in this competition. And for as fun as their central midfielders are, the front line has never really showed an ability to link with, the, with those three midfielders in the 4-3-3 to actually help break a team down and create consistent high-level chances. They are far too cross-heavy. They are far too long-shot heavy. Maybe I've just tipped my hand there. But does anyone want to guess who leads the Ivory Coast in shots? Don't overthink it, please. Definitely do not overthink it. It's got to be Fafana. This. It is. Absolutely is. It is Seko Fafana, who has taken 10 shots. The next closest player is Jean-Philippe Crasso, who, Graham, you mentioned his name earlier, with seven. The third player is Ibrahim Sangare, who's the number six for this team. Like, so much of the attack comes from central midfield for the Ivory Coast, which is not sustainable. When you play out of that 4-3-3 shape, and your number eights and your number six are taking pot shot after pot shot. Like, the, the Fafana shot that, that leads to the goal, and then he hits the woodwork a few minutes later in their opener, that was fun. Eight, eight long shots later... It gets significantly less fun and much more bashing your head against the wall because this team is making poor decision after poor decision in the attacking half. And, you know, those are things that can be changed. But the big question for the Ivory Coast, now that they have snuck through to the round of 16, is will they be changed in time to actually compete and make a run in front of their home fans? And I don't see how they do that unless people recover from injury. Because going back and looking at my notes for the preview and some of the previews I read about Ivory Coast, there was concern about the attack that Bamba and Kwame hadn't really been as effective or efficient as people would have liked. And then the concern was without Haller, if he can't play, there's not really a proven goal scorer who can elevate the team, who can do what Haller is going to do. That's where my breakout player was uh, Simona Dingra. I thought maybe this could be a tournament where he comes in because there is that inefficiency in attack. He can come in and be that spark and take people on and be the more direct 1v1 dribbler. And then he's been out for the entire group stage. And so I'm Unless they get one or both of those players back, Adingra and Haller, I don't know how they fix this. So maybe if they are going to try to get out of this, they go the other way, and we just see them be like a 5-4-1, a 5-5-0, and they go ultra-defensive and then just try to hit on the break. I hope that is not what happens, but given how inefficient they've been, and I don't mean this to be as much of a punchline as it's going to sound, but I feel like when you're starting Nicola Pepe and hoping that maybe that turns things around, it's a sign that you haven't quite figured out how you're going to attack. 
Yeah, we need a reliable goal scorer. Who are we turning to? Yeah. Nicola Pe- Oh, we're in trouble. Oh, oh dear. Oh, and, and, and the thing is, there'd be so many other teams, there are so many other teams in this tournament that would love to have Pepe in their Truth. front line, right? So it, it's not like this front line for the Ivory Coast is terrible given the competition. It's not. It's it's fine. But the attacking tactics, and this is where I sort of understand the decision to let go of Jean-Louis Gasset, like the, the tactical approach has been abysmal in the final third. And that's not even unique in this tournament either. International soccer tends to be more reductive tactically. It's harder to instill principles into your players. It's hard to try to break down teams that are going to sit deep. And that's what a lot of teams do against the Ivory Coast, right? All those things are difficult, but the Ivory Coast very clearly have done an extremely poor job of doing those things. Again, I point yeah. to if, if two of your top three shots leaders are coming from midfield and you go through and actually watch this team attack and their attack is pot shots from 30 yards out or crosses in from the wing, like that is not a good recipe. Can this team turn it around? Absolutely they can because there's enough quality. I know they've got Senegal in the round of 16. That is a very, very difficult matchup. But I don't I think anybody would be I think anyone would be foolish, I should say, to count this team all the way out because of the quality that's there. They just need to find something different yeah. in the final third. I agree to a point, Joe, but just to underline the kind of emotional stuff that I was talking about, they've sacked their manager, their players were in tears on the pitch at the end of the the defeat to Equatorial Guinea, they're booed off by the home fans, I saw videos of angry fans outside the team hotel, it's their biggest home loss ever, I'm just kind of struggling, especially with that Senegal matchup, to envisage how they make a run beyond that game, I, I think it's kind of over for them if I had to, if I was a betting man, I would not be betting on them getting past Senegal. Fair enough. Graham, how about Equatorial Guinea, who have uh, a Guinea, uh, indeed, facing in the round of 16? Uh, No one has scored more than them in this tournament so far. Four goals in each of their last two games. Uh, They're on uh, form. We are getting another Guinea derby in the round of 16, as you mentioned there, Ryan. But it's it's one involving the real actual Guinea, Equatorial Guinea versus Guinea, in the round of 16. I'm not entirely sure what there is to say about Equatorial Guinea at this point because they've been one of the the stories of the tournament. This is a team with a track record of upsetting the odds at AFCON because they went on a very similar run in uh, 2022, even though that was 2021 AFCON, when they made the the quarterfinals, they beat Algeria, they, they beat Mali in the round of 16. And I mentioned this on one of the shows we did before the tournament. I think this might have been on a Patreon. They are just so much more than the sum of their parts when they come together as a team unit. And Emilio Nsua is the, the top scorer in the whole tournament. He's got five goals in three games. And he is a 34-year-old right back in the third tier of Spanish football. But for the national team, he's this reliable goal-scoring number nine. Wow. And I just generally, I have been impressed by how dangerous they have been as an attacking unit. They are the top scorer, scorers in the tournament so far, as you mentioned, yeah. Ryan. I wouldn't say, I mean, maybe Joe, you've got sharper tactical eye than I do. I wouldn't say that they're doing anything revolutionary. It's quite simplistic in its approach, but they get bodies forward quickly from midfield, whether it's Miranda or Salvador or Jose Machin, who's um, got three assists in this tournament. They make good runs. They know how to make the most of their kind of chaos factor in the final thirds, and that has really unsettled opposition teams. When they get the ball wide, they invariably find a good cross. There's invariably someone making a good run in the box. It's kind of textbook international soccer attacking play, but they execute it very well, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, Graham, and you mentioned Insue there, which is a fantastic story, by the way. It is one of the best stories. There are so many superlatives that we're going to throw around in this episode, and it's because even though I, I kind of dumped on the format earlier, this has been an incredible tournament. I have enjoyed so much of this tournament. It's not just five goals in the group stage for Insue. It's five goals in the last two group stage games. He snagged a hat trick and a brace in the last two games. 
the, the secret for Equatorial Guinea right now isn't some tactical code that they've cracked, Graham. You're right. Like, you know, I do try to watch games for tactics, but they're not, they're not reinventing any wheels here, right? It's, it's just how hot they've gotten at the exact right time. That has been the key for this team. They play a consistent 4-2-3-1 for the most part. Very pragmatic in how they play, Graham. All the tactical stuff that you mentioned, I agree with. They like to get forward. It is a lot of crosses. The thing is, they've finished their chances. And really by they, I mean Emilio Insue, who has been the most important player for any team in this competition so far. One other factor for Equatorial Guinea, the timing of their goals, I think, has been very, very important. And We mentioned them scoring a bunch of goals so far in this group stage. They've gone up 1-0 in every game they've played so far. So in three straight games, they've, got, they've scored the first goal. What does that do? Well, that then forces the opposition to come and step out and break you down, right? They're the team now that has to take risks. The impetus is on them, which then creates space for Equatorial Guinea to go and attack into. It's like the perfect break for them early in games to get that one new lead because it plays into exactly what they want to do. Yeah, they're not reinventing anything over here, but they have been brutally effective and super hot through three games so far. Joe, I'm curious how you would incorporate like statistical analysis into what they're doing, because looking at these two games where they've scored eight goals, uh, a total XG when you combine the two games of 3.71. This is my question, though, because 3.71 XG, eight goals scored. That's on 18 shots, uh, 10 in one game, eight in the other, even fewer on target. But I'm right. led to understand that Joe doesn't care about shots on target. Correct. He just cares about shots. So. Is this an example of a team that, to your point, is just is catching fire, they're taking their chances, they're scoring early, and that's setting them up? Is this a team that could then regress to the mean? Like, Where do you sort of draw the line in your understanding of teams when you're incorporating XG? So first of all, shots on target. I, I've written a contract and signed it to myself that anytime someone brings it up, I have to explain why I feel that way because I feel very strongly about it. Is a shot that's well, like I'm just... just that is a shot that's right down the middle at the goalkeeper <laughs> naturally better then a shot that misses just wide? No, it's not. It is absolutely not. Shots on target is a dumb statistic that has no business being cited by anyone who's serious in this sport. Anyway, uh, on the XG front, like I think I mentioned a shot on target like five minutes Graham. ago, so we'll just <laughs> edit that. But uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll cut it. I cut it out every time. I know you guys think you edit. I go back through and re-edit every single show. Um, on the XG front, yeah, Taylor, I mentioned Equatorial Guinea being hot. Like that, that's it for this team right now. They've gotten hot at the right time. Generally, when you're scoring so many goals in situations that most teams don't, that means you're going to come back down to earth. The question for Equatorial Guinea is just how quickly that's going to happen. I think they have a pretty winnable game in the round of 16 against Guinea. You know, I I don't love either team of those two based off of like the sustainable stuff that they're doing. But yeah, sooner rather than later, I I think we all would expect Equatorial Guinea to come back down to earth. We know, just inherently as soccer fans, that teams don't tend to score four goals a game against teams that are as good or better than them. Uh, Taylor, real quick on Nigeria before we leave Group A. Um, A 1-1, a 1-0 and a 1-0. When did Max Allegri become coach of this side? Just checking. (laughs) (laughs) He's just nodding approvingly, nodding approvingly. I forget who it is who said that like a 1-0 win is the perfect scoreline in soccer but that seems to be what nigeria is going with i'm guessing it was an italian and I'm that's what i was gonna say so i'm guessing italian. they didn't say it was soccer <laughs> so i apologize there uh but I, I will also say there's a few different things that i'm gonna hold my hands up from the preview one is that i thought ivory coast i think i had them as my favorite to win the whole thing they were the team i picked after that first game i was feeling very confident and i was also feeling very confident in mocking joe lowry for having some hype about nigeria and yet here we are second place seven points after i would say a fairly uninspiring draw that they have solidified. And and we talked about this plenty of times, how we expected them to be reliant on their attack, 
so much so that they could maybe make up for some defensive deficiencies. And yet in these last two games, Ryan, to your point, they are keeping clean sheets. They are keeping things very calm. They are keeping things very steady. And that seems to be an outlier when you look at many, many other teams in this tournament, where even teams that are winning, Cape uh, Verde versus Mozambique, in that game, they win, Verde, but there's also so many moments of like unforced errors and mistakes and turnovers, and they go back and forth, and it's a much more chaotic game. And I think Nigeria has done a really good job of removing some of those mistakes to just have more stable, if uninspiring, performances, but that's what gets you out of the group, and that's what gets you into the knockout round, and then you can yeah. start grinding from there. Yeah, I made the big call on Nigeria going out in the group stage, and I was yeah. hoping after match day one that I might still be able to take some kind of moral victory lap on that where they scrape through but are still bad. I don't think I could even do that now because Nigeria have been pretty decent. There has been a lot of discussion about their attack because it's not really firing at the moment. So um, obviously we're talking about the score lines. They've only scored a single goal in each of the three matches they've played, which obviously is in contrast to what they, what was expected of them. But at the risk of being contrarian... I think their attack is doing fine. The underlying numbers are yes, pretty good. Graham. Their XG, their XG, their XG <laughs> is the second highest in the whole tournament behind Morocco's. I like the balance of their attack with Osman flanked by two of Chukwueze and Lukman and, and uh, Moses Simon. I like that balance much better than having Boniface or Ian Acho alongside uh, Osman in the front two. And then a fairly flat midfield four behind them, which is how Nigeria planned on playing at this tournament. It's how they played in their warm-up games. And yes, Osman hasn't been the sharpest. We've certainly seen him in better goal-scoring form. But as far as attacking problems go, having one of the best centre-forwards in the world not taking chances is one of the better problems to have. So I kind of liken it to... Remember France at the World Cup had the Benzema injury and I actually think having him out of the equation maybe helped them settle into a structure a little bit more. I think it's similar with Nigeria. I like the back three as well that they've shifted to. It certainly helped Calvin Bassey, who um, I was asked about in our preview show. And I said he is decent as a left back. He's not playing as a left back, but he is playing as a, a left sided centre back where he has a bit of freedom to get forward on the ball. And it just that back three just allows primarily Bassi to push it, push into that central midfield where Onyeka has been playing alongside one of uh, Awobi or, or Aribo. So yeah, it's a little bit stodgy at times, but stodgy teams get through international tournaments. And so I like Nigeria's chances a lot more now than I did at the start of the, t- the tournament. Graham, one quick question for me in that game against Giri-Bissau. Uh, only one shot on target for Nigeria. Joe, be quiet. Uh, are you at all <laughs> concerned about there only being one shot on target? Well, you know, shots on target, of mm-hmm. course, a very important metric yeah. in soccer. And, That's yeah, what I've course, always felt. Inherently yeah. concerned about shots on target. Yeah. What was the quality rating? Can we can we give it a quality rating of that shot on just target? Good. Yeah, <laughs> just good. Just good. Just good. Okay, possible. Excellent. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go through Group B and Cape Verde's adventure and much more back shortly. Trapped in my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our AFCON group stage roundup. We go now to Taylor Rockwell and Cape Verde. Exciting times for Cape Verde, Taylor, topping the group over Egypt, Ghana and Mozambique. Egypt and Cape Verde going through from Group B. Uh, what a time to be alive for the team that doesn't play in green, famously. <laughs> you cannot let this go. <laughs> no, no, loves to bring that up. <laughs> To, to the to the extent it makes no that sense, Joe. the commentators in the last two games talked glowingly in the beginning about how much they love their kits and how of course they're playing in their famous blue. I don't know if I if I know that they were famously blue, but uh, but I'm happy that the commentators are hyped and I'm happy that Kaveri have done what they've done, including getting this draw. I thought this might be even against an Egypt without Mohamed Salah. I thought this might be the game where we see what they're actually made of, and maybe we see them have a dip in form or they don't end up getting a point. And instead, they do uh, a 2-2 draw with a ridiculous finish. Uh, Mohamed scoring for Egypt in the 90-plus-3 minute. And then uh, Tashera coming in with 90-plus-9. A dramatic one. I think they also <laughs> scored their uh, first goal, Kaferd, in uh, added time of the first half. So they leave it late uh, across the board. Uh, they also, I guess, rely on Bebe to hit free kicks from 40 yards out. I still <laughs> really don't know about that one. Uh, the knuckle puck really did throw off the goalkeeper there. All that to say... In watching them, I'm excited that Kaffert have made it out. I have no idea what to expect from them because it does feel like they are very inclined to capitalize on opposition mistakes and opposition turnovers and errant passing, and then they pounce, and then they create, and they thrive off of, I think, chaos, basically, creating chaos for their opponent. And I think if they're playing a team that is a bit more organized, a bit more stodgy, I I think they're going to struggle to create opportunities. It sounds like Grandma Grease. 
Yeah, so the Cape Verde story has, or Cap Verde story, excuse me, has has been amazing. It's been one of the storylines of the tournament. I really don't want to put a dampener on them, but I guess I'm going to. I don't know. I agree with you, Taylor. I don't know what if what they're doing is hugely repeatable over a bigger sample size. The win over Ghana comes from calamitous defending. Um, two of the goals, not just the baby free kick, two of the goals against Mozambique are absolute screamers. The yeah. Kevin Pina shot is a laser as well. Then the first goal uh, against Egypt is not quite a, as low percentage as those goals, but it's still relatively low percentage. Even the equaliser kind of comes from, a, I would say, a bit of a goalkeeping error from the, 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 the Egyptian goalkeeper. So if you look at their underlying numbers, they're, they're kind of majorly overperforming their XG. And yes, I know it's a, sample, a small sample size, but I just suspect, similar to you, Taylor, just suspect against an opponent that isn't giving up chances so easily. And maybe in a match where a 40-yard screamer doesn't go into the top corner, Cape Verde might, is that, might find their ceiling. Was that even a screamer? I really, I, I watched that thing so target. many times. Because you could see, it was a shot on target. You could see the keeper afterwards say like, oh, the ball was moving well all over the place. Is this the baby one? Yeah. And it, and it, like, it definitely moved. It just seems like he froze the goalkeeper and did not know what to do and ended up sort of like diving when he definitely didn't need to and then paring it into his own net with yeah. one hand. It was, it was as close as I've come to like that. That might need it someone like, to look into his financials. Let's see what happened there. It was like the, the ball, the football turned into a bowling ball midway in the air and like the goalkeeper got taken into the net by the shot. Yes, it was yeah, a exactly. bizarre goalkeeper. <laughs> um, I am, I will say with everything we've said, Graham, with our hesitation about Caverd, it is the reality that they are then playing Mauritania in, in the next round. And I don't know if Mauritania are the juggernaut that is going to create those opportunities. That's the TSS no, Derby. Opportunities. No, yeah. Taylor, they're, they're not the juggernaut that's going to create those opportunities, but they also are the team that have averaged the least possession through three games. So fitting oh into what you just said about Cap Verde struggling to break yeah. down teams when those teams aren't giving them turnovers in midfield, and giving them is a bit harsh maybe, but you know, presenting opportunities where Cap Verde can go and win the ball in their 4-3-3 press – when that doesn't happen, their life is going to get more difficult. Yeah. I would still back them to make it past Mauritania. Um, sorry, Graham, I know Mauritania is your cat bird, so I, I, I do apologize for that. But it's not shaping up to be an easy quarterfinal game whatsoever because they're likely going to have Morocco in that game. So it, it's tough. I'm glad you guys brought up Cape Verde, and I, I was a little afraid to bring up the reasons why I thought that maybe they would struggle because they have been such a good story. But Taylor, you're right. The, the one thing that hasn't been mentioned yet about their about their journey so far is their timing in the group stage has been impeccable. Like, they have aligned their schedule with the soccer gods somehow, and I don't know how. Uh, not an easy group overall with Egypt and Ghana and Mozambique, but the timing was unreal. They played Ghana without Mohamed Kudush, and they played Egypt without Mohamed Salah. Like, that is the cheat code to pushing yourself towards the top of your group, and credit to Katverd for finishing top. We'll see what happens with them going forward. We shall indeed. Uh, Graham, uh, as we mentioned, Egypt without Mo Salah, at least for the time being, uh, that's going to be an issue potentially going forward. Yeah, potentially. I'm I'm not really sure what, this is a common theme with a lot of the big countries actually at this tournament, but I'm not really sure what to make of Egypt at this tournament coming in. We we obviously spoke about the, the change in approach under, under Rui Vittoria, and there, there have been signs of that change. Um, only four teams have had a higher share of possession per match than, than Egypt, and they are attempting to be more proactive than they have been in the past when frankly I find them I found them boring to watch at previous AFCONs. I've heard all kinds of opinions on on Egypt, including one that they are better off without Mohamed Salah because they're more of a unit without him and when he's on nope. the pitch <laughs> I was getting to that point, Joe. When when he's on the, the pitch they rely on him to produce something out of nothing. I, I kinda get the 
theory, the logic of that, but I don't buy the reality at all, as proven uh, by the performance against uh, Cap Verde when Salah was watching from the the stands. I think the biggest issue, um, okay, maybe the biggest issue is Salah's injury, but second biggest issue is the the defensive issues that they're having and how easy they are to get in behind. I, I said this on last week's episode, but I, I still believe it. I don't think Higazi is capable of of playing in this high a defensive line. He doesn't have the recovery speed or the positional awareness to go one-on-one against opposition attackers when they're on the break or attacking transition. And to me, it just looks like this is a team that is in the midst of a stylistic transition that will need more time to to, to happen. It's pretty much the same group of players that had been playing a much more conservative way for about a decade before Vittoria arrived only 18 months ago. And while I'm, I am having more fun watching Egypt now, that is just because of the chaos that has been in their games, not necessarily because they've got a better chance of winning this tournament. Yeah. Uh, Ghana or a Ghana Joe, as we know now, um, Chris Hutton sacked before even the third game was played here. We saw this coming to... Do you think they let him get on the plane home? Or was, or was it like a Steven Gerrard being sacked at Fulham situation where they were like, find your own way back? Find up. your own ride. <laughs> plane home with uh, two, two connections, I think, is the uh, punishment there. Tough. Yeah. That's maybe even crueler than letting him book his own. Yeah, this is very expected. I don't know that any of us expected the group to go exactly like it did. But Ghana underperforming in one way or another, or or should I say performing to the level that we thought they would, because this is not a good team, and they're certainly not a good team without Mohamed Kudush in the 11. They were missing him for part of this group stage. The talent around him, you know, they, I like some of the pieces in the attack still, especially out wide, but the midfield and the back line, the goalkeeping we saw bite them multiple times in this competition, this is just straight up not a good team, and I'm not really surprised that they're not advancing. The goalkeeping from Afori for the uh, Mozambique equaliser, I don't know if anyone caught this, is utterly bizarre. It's one of the most bizarre moments of the whole tournament where he's kind of caught in between two minds of catching the ball and then letting it run out of play. And then he kind of, the ball brushes off his hands and Mozambique get the corner, they score from the corner. And I think had they not conceded that goal, they would have been through, right? Into the the, the round of 16. Just a completely calamitous tournament from Ghana in every single game. Yeah, that was one of six goals in this group, which was after the 90th minute, by the way, Graham. So the the, the group of late excitement, we may be calling a group yeah. B. Yeah, definitely. It's been chaos. <laughs> chaos indeed. Uh, Taylor, should we head to Group C, where, of course, Senegal topped the rankings, Cameroon and Guinea going through with them. But Senegal, uh, the only perfect team in this tournament, looking pretty, pretty good. Yeah, man. Uh, I think, again, to give credit to Joe, first of all, I just have to say shots on target, very important. Just to bring as, down back as to As we've all agreed, Taylor. Uh, everybody here is on, on the shots on kinda, target train. Before I then say, I think Joe's uh, favorite heading into this tournament was Senegal. And yeah, I'm inclined to say he was probably pretty right on that one. Uh, three wins from three games, eight goals for one against. That's not a particularly bad record. But watching them uh, in, in this last game against Guinea... And just seeing how much they control the game. They get uh, the goal from Sec in the 61st minute. Uh, they get the insurance goal in the 90th. But even before that, they are just very unfazed. Uh, and and Guinea, not able to create very much, not able to like find opportunities with, that they've created or built themselves. But then even in transition, Senegal flood number, numbers centrally when they when they lose the ball or turn it over or get caught with press or anything like that. They get numbers central. Then they have a really well-organized system of who pops out when and how to sort of make sure that the opponent has to recycle possession and slow it all down. And so on the defensive side, they just seem very smart 
and very disciplined. And then obviously they have the attack where at any moment they might be able to score. And even in this game, Sajo Mane has the one where he rounds the keeper and puts it wide. They have a few other clear-cut opportunities that they're not able to take, and eventually they do. And so it feels to me like if the attack were clicking, they could have won this game 4 or 5 nil. And I do think that sets them up really well for a very strong uh, knockout round. And having said that, they're going up against Ivory Coast, who are probably just going to find a way to be good for one game, and then all, all chaos will be uh, happening. Wow. Joe, you expecting chaos in that round of 16 game? <laughs> yeah, kind of, right? Ivory Coast, Taylor, I agree with everything you just said. It feels wrong and stupid, and I know Graham's talking about the emotional turmoil that they've suffered. All that's very, very real. I would be inclined to think, and maybe this is just the pessimist in me when it comes to Senegal and and favorites in tournaments, I'd be inclined to think that that will galvanize the group and that we'll see some radical changes. The the thing about the Ivory Coast is they just have the individual talent to brute force their way to a win. If if one Seko Fofana 40-yard shot, banger or not, in terms of the Bebe goal, like if, if that finds the back of the net... This game slipped on its head. That, with that being said, I like Senegal a lot. I think they're a very good team. I still think, along with Morocco, those are those are the two best teams at this tournament. They like their 4-3-3 Senegal, and I, I like it too. They control the game very well. They still don't quite create the flurry of attacking chances that I think maybe they should with this group. That could be a, a, a bit of a problem for them going forward, but I mean, they're, they are one of the teams that I think everybody still expects to make a deep, deep run and maybe lift this trophy. Yeah. Uh, Graham, Cameroon are through. They've got Nigeria in the next game. Are we going to flip the coin and see who plays in goal for Cameroon in the next few games <laughs> or game or two? Well, as long as one of the sides isn't Andrew Onana, I think you're safe on flipping that, <laughs> flipping that coin. He was dropped uh, again for Cameroon's third group stage game, apparently at the request of Samuel Leto, who mm. um, I know there's been a lot of reporting on the, the rift, the divide between Rigo Bersong and Andre Anana. A lot of the reporting that I've read says that the real dispute inside yeah. that camp is between Samuel Eto and Andre Anana. So he was on the bench again. Um, his cousin, did anyone, did, I've forgotten okay. the name of the Cameroon Graham. goalkeeper. It's, it's Onana's cousin who plays yeah. in his place. It's very which I like that. I like that rule that if you're not playing, it has to be your cousin <laughs> that goes and goals. Like all teams yeah. should have that rule. But, uh, yeah, it's been a bizarre. Cameroon are in that group with, uh, Egypt and I yeah. guess, uh, Ivory Coast, where I'm not, I'm not really sure what to make of them right now because it's been a peculiar tournament so far. I'll say Cameroon's XC, their expected cousins, is really high at the moment. Yeah. I'll, I'll it's give one. That. Yeah. <laughs> it is still wild as to me that, Again, from my reading, yeah, it's Etzo and Rigobert Song are not big fans. And it was the government that demanded that Andre Onana be included in the squad, which I think is against FIFA law. So I'm not quite sure how that was allowed to fly. But either way, I'm not surprised to see Andre Onana uh, not playing in this one. Uh, I was surprised by the finish to this game uh, because mm. it it looked at various points like Cameroon were, were going out and not going to to do much of anything. But instead... We get uh, Gambia, the, the Gambia going up 2-1 to one in the 85th, an own goal uh, tying it up in the 87th, uh, Christopher Wu with a towering header in the 90 plus Woo. 1 uh, to make it 3-2, and then you have the Mohamed, uh, Mohamed Sané hand of God moment in the 93rd minute where he definitely handballs it in, runs off to celebrate, and does a very good job of celebrating as though he didn't uh, handball it in. Of course, VAR shows that he did, that goal is overturned. But at various points, at various moments, Cameroon were losing or drawing or winning or drawing again. It was all very confusing. But in the end, I guess they did what they needed to do to get out of the group. 
I can't remember the celebration for that goal, but was he like feigning injury in another part of the body? Like, ah, my head or like my nose. It definitely <laughs> hit my nose. Just, Look how sore it is. I think he just like sprinted off. The whole team sprinted off. They all celebrated. And then when everybody was, uh, all the Cameroonian players justifiably were like, handball, he handed it. He was like, what are you talking? No, of course not. It was on my head. What are you talking about? Like, you guys are crazy. I and, he, have and, he, hands. and it did get increasingly as the referee was like, we're looking at it in the camera. You could see him be like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was a hand. I don't know. I don't know. Then he kind of walked off, and I think the goal ends up getting overturned a couple seconds later. But for a moment, the sheer chaos was uh, immensely entertaining, unless you were Cameroonian, I suspect. <laughs> Indeed. Off to Group D, where Angola topped the rankings. Burkina Faso, who uh, you know have a tendency to go deep in this tournament in second place, and Mauritania, who on my text edit document have been corrected to marinating. That's disappointing. Uh, in <laughs> in third. And Algeria going out in fourth place, Joe. Uh, a wild finish in Group D. Very much so. I don't think I could have guessed at this group like 12 times and picked this order of teams. I was not expecting this whatsoever. Angola finishing top is awesome. Like they finished with seven points. Cape Verde finished with seven points. There have been some phenomenal stories in some of these underdog nations. It's another really surprising group winner. You go through in their first game against Algeria, and we talked about this on our last full AFCON show, I believe. Angola were dangerous on the break. They didn't create a ton of chances, but when they did break forward, they had good, good opportunities out of their 3-5-2 shape. And it was a penalty kick in the second half, I believe, that got them that 1-1 draw. And then they take care of business against Mauritania in 3-2, not the most solid of fashions there. But they play a 4-4-2 in that game. They're back to the back four against Burkina Faso in, in their final match day of the group stage. And they win 2-0. Like, this team got the job done. Now, they're very much in the category of, I'm still not expecting much from them. Because I also am of the mind that this group was... Not good. Burkina Faso have not impressed me. Mauritania, the story is great. The soccer has not been. Watch your and, mouth. And, Watch your mouth. <laughs> sorry, man. Sorry, I can edit that as well. Uh, and then you look at Algeria. They've massively underperformed. Like outside of Riyad Mahrez and a little production in the, in the middle of the front line. Like this team just has not been good. Straight up. They have struggled to create chances. They have rarely used the possession that they've had. And they have had possession to actually leverage that into real opportunities. They were the worst team against Angola in that first group stage game. Like Angola were clearly the better team on the field. They were a little better against Burkina Faso, had a little more attacking production. Like this Algeria team never really got out of first gear. And I think that is one of the bigger disappointments of this tournament. Graham, you want to go for Mauritania now? This is your time. If I've been allocated the time, 30 seconds, I'll have 30 <laughs> seconds of Mar- Mauritania. Go ahead. Yeah, I feel like I have a vested interest in them after I wrote about uh, them in the newsletter, how they could be the new Comoros of, of this AFCON. And that's kind of exactly what they've been. Been Them in Namibia have been the real surprise packages of this AFCON in terms of getting uh, through to the, the last 16. Neither of them had won an AFCON match before this tournament. And Mauritania, they're through to the, the last 16. Their, their, their win over Algeria was certainly one of the biggest shocks of the group stage. And I watched that match live. And I felt Mauritania were good good value for it. I think Algeria just about edged the, the XG and they did have more possession. But... Um, I didn't get the sense that Algeria were really breaking down the door at any time. They were lacking in ideas, as Joe kind of referenced. And the direct approach that worked in the first half against Angola, where I thought Algeria looked pretty decent, Mauritania just soaked it up. And I thought the goal scorer, uh, Delahi, had an excellent game, even beyond his goal, just repelling crosses and those long balls. And the Mauritania goal opens the game up a, a, a bit. And then it was actually quite o- open, which seemed to benefit Mauritania more than Algeria. And they were just able to release the pressure on the defence by getting forward. So 
they're certainly a minnow. I'm not sure how much further they're they're going to go. We have the TSS Derby, of course, between Cap Verde and and, and Mauritania, oh. but they have they have ability, they have structure, they've earned their place in the last sixteen. It is incredible that they've got that far, given that they were ranked as the fourth worst team in the world according to the FIFA rankings uh, twelve years ago. And now they qualified for three AFCONs in a row. They're into the, the round of 16. Hasn't happened by accident. They've built infrastructure. They've used FIFA funding wisely. So yeah, I'm really quite invested in their story, as you can probably tell by now. Yeah, great stuff. Very liberal use of your 30 seconds there, Graham, but well done indeed. Uh, we're <laughs> going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got groups E and F. We have a little look at the knockout rounds. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Total Soccer Show, we're talking AFCON, uh, Group E, Mali finishing top South Africa in second, and Namibia joining them through in third place. Joe, I have to say, I wasn't expecting Tunisia and Algeria to finish bottom of their respective groups, and we've got Mali topping this one too. Yeah, I I didn't expect to see Tunisia bottom. I think I had them finishing either first or second in this group. But Mali, I'll I'll take a little mini, like, 200-meter track victory lap for Mali, because I did pick them out as... Uh, one of my teams to watch in this tournament. I had decently high expectations for them. I thought they'd make it to the round of 16, mostly because their midfield is awesome. Even with Busuma. Graham, what did we learn in the Discord that Busuma had malaria? Busuma had malaria at some point yeah. in this competition? Yeah, he had, he had malaria, apparently, about a malaria. So he seems to have recovered because he's, wow. he's right. started he's the back final in. group yeah. game. But. but like even with you know the best player in this team dealing with an injury and, and a key midfield component as well, the other quality players in this group were more than enough. We saw 4-4-2 diamond from this group. We saw a little bit of flat 4-4-2 as well. Like this team wants to capitalize on transitions. And it's one of the things guys that I think makes them 
legitimately dangerous in this competition moving forward. They've got Burkina Faso in the next round. And so that, I, I would imagine that will not be a game where Mali have chance after chance to play against the ball and attack on the break. But, you know, when you're a team like Mali and you want to play against the ball, there will be opportunities for you as you go forward in this competition, especially if they make it to the quarterfinals. They'll be playing one of Senegal or the Ivory Coast. And both of those teams do like to have the ball. So I, I still kind of like Mali's odds to pull some upsets as this tournament continues. But I've really enjoyed watching that diamond especially go to work, create turnovers, shift side to side, and quickly lead them into attacking opportunities in the final third. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Joe. I like their structure as, as a team. I like their midfield. I the, the second half against South Africa in that first game, they were a little bit more proactive. Yeah. But they're one of this, I don't know if, if, if you, you agree with this, but they're one of those kind of classic international tournament teams where I just want... I just want a little bit more. I know that's like an a, a very general thing to say, but I want them to take a few more risks and really push themselves a little bit higher up the pitch. We saw what they can do when they did that against South Africa in that first half, in the second half of that first game. But as, this is tournament football, and they did what they needed to do to finish top of the group. And they might not be the most exciting team, but I do. I'm with you, Joe. I kind of like their chances. Uh, how do you like South Africa's chances? They've got Morocco coming up in the knockout round. Graham, they had a big win over Namibia in this group, but a win, a loss, and a draw, and they're through. Yeah, so they got off to a bad start against Mali, but even in that match, there were there were signs of the sort of cohesion you get from having half the squad play for the same club team. It's just whether they can not make mistakes playing out from the back. That seems to be a bit of an Achilles heel for them, certainly the issue against Mali. But also, can they create enough in open play? They are a decent possession team. Um, Hugo Bros is in a little bit of a... He's the manager. He's in a little bit of a dispute with the Mimelody Sundowns uh, manager over the way the team should play. And the Sundowns are very possession-based. And he's, he's been forced to adapt his style because he's just got so many Sundowns players in his squad. So they are decent on the ball. But sometimes lacking in a little bit of creativity. They did create a lot in that game against Namibia when Themba Zwane just came alive in, in, in that game. And if he can replicate that sort of performance, then maybe South Africa are onto something. But it was pretty cagey against Tunisia in, in, in the final match. So um, I guess it kind of depends what version of South Africa we get in the knockout rounds. Indeed. And last but not least, Group F, we saw Morocco top that one. Uh, DR Congo going through with them. Zambia and Tanzania are on their way home. Uh, Taylor, obviously Morocco, uh, a great presence at the last World Cup and uh, looking pretty decent here. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. I, I, I think they have been probably the second most impressive team at this tournament behind Senegal. Uh, and we saw a lot of what we have liked about them in matches past in this one no win over Zambia. Uh, another game that probably could have been 4-0 if they had been a little bit more efficient, if they'd taken some chances more cleanly, and if they hadn't rushed a few shots that instead seemed to go out of the stadium. I think they had two or three that went into the back of the stands, hit those on frame, and maybe things get a little bit different, certainly if you put them on target. Uh, but it, I, it does also feel like we continue to see from Morocco the variety of attacks, and that's something I don't think we've seen from a lot of the teams we've talked about. We've talked a lot about how they have a lot of crosses put in some teams or a reliance on set pieces or reliance on long ball in Morocco can have a reliance on a long ball. They can play uh, balls down the channel. They can play long balls down the middle, but then they can also possess through the middle. We saw the way they scored in their opener. They had two, two similar opportunities here where it's uh, a series of quick wall passes inside leading to a shot admittedly through traffic, but they're still creating chances uh, from crosses. They're still creating chances from complex interplay uh, through the middle, and they're still getting clean sheets against the Zambia team that I didn't think threatened 
all that much in this game, but I, I did still feel like played really hard, pressed hard, created some opportunities, and I don't know if they ever looked like threatening enough to say that they look like scoring, but it did seem like Morocco had to work pretty hard and keep that yeah. sort of their minds focused the whole game, even as they weren't taking those opportunities. I think Zambia could have gotten something here if Morocco took their foot off the gas or lost a little bit of their discipline. I'm sad to see Zambia go out at the same time. Only two points. They didn't score in this game. They didn't look really threatening. So it's a team that were exciting and had a lot of energy. But also, I don't know if they would have done that much in the knockout round. Uh, whereas I am excited that we now get the host Ivory Coast with a redemption shot. If Zambia had gotten a point here, they would have gone through at Ivory Coast expense. But for Morocco, I think they have to be feeling very, very confident. Uh, they they had uh, Roman Saiz not play in this game. I think that was because he had already had a yellow. Uh, so their manager, who was also suspended, uh, did not w- want him to play in this one. So they've got some fresh legs. They've got a lot of confidence. Uh, and I'm excited to see Morocco in the knockout round. I watched that Morocco-Zambia game, Taylor, mm-hmm. and one player who stood out to me on the Morocco side was Sofian Amrabat, who produced a, a mm-hmm. performance that gave me Qatar World Cup flashbacks. We haven't really seen any of that from him as a Manchester United player this season, but he was a very he was very effective. Zambia, to me, they're a team that's full of runners. They want to release Fashion Sakala down the left side in particular. They want to run over the top of you. And I thought Morocco... DR Congo in the second game have a similar element to them and I didn't think Morocco dealt with that very well. Cedric Bakambu misses a penalty in that in, in that game as well. So Morocco could have lost that match. But the way that they tailored slightly and just how Amrabat was able to raise his performance level, very effective at recovering the ball, forcing Zambia to look for the wide areas when they just weren't able to, to beat Hakimi in a, in a foot race, mm-hmm. certainly down that left side with, with Sakala. So if Amrabat is back to being Qatar World Cup Amrabat, that is uh, a bit of a game changer for them. Yeah. In the knockout rounds. And, and another player to spotlight, I think that's a great shout, uh, Graham, with Amrabat, who I think also does a really good job of shifting onto either side of, of whichever center back needs it. So he will sort of help into a back three, which allows Hakimi and Atiyatala, uh, the left back, to get forward. We still haven't seen Mazraoui in this tournament. Maybe he'll start in the knockout rounds at left back. Uh, but even if he doesn't, I think the Hakimi threat remains potent, which is not breaking any new ground to say that, but a thing I thought was really interesting and where the goal comes about in this game uh, is Sofian Bufal on the left side uh, as the kind of left winger, left midfielder. I saw him do this a couple times. He receives the ball wide, controls it, takes it inside a little bit, and maybe we'll go for a wall pass. Maybe we'll just make sure that he's got enough of a distance between him and the defender. And then we'll hit this very long driven cross field pass to a now wide open Atraf Hakimi because the opposition has slid all their players over. They've gotten more narrow. They've crowded numbers in the middle and it leaves space on the right flank for uh, Ziyech and Hakimi. And Hakimi will then make that, that sort of advancing run ball, uh, that big ball across. And then Hakimi is there to either settle and take on players or in this case, one time a ball back into the middle. That's spilled and then it's finished well. Uh, but but I feel like that big switch from Buffal is a thing to keep an eye on because it can come out of nowhere and can completely catch opposition players out. Yeah, the other intangible thing that Morocco have behind them at this tournament is a huge support. They have the biggest travel and support of any nation at this tournament. And I was reading that that support is going to swell. It's, it's going to double, actually, was the, the, the report that I read. So it's going to double for the knockout rounds. And I think back to the World Cup in Qatar, where Morocco's, and, and again, this is an intangible thing, but Morocco's support really seemed to be a driving force for them at that tournament. And I, and I wonder if something similar could, could happen here in this tournament. Okay, did you read why it's expected to double? Like, are there just more Moroccans coming in? Or are the Ivorians now in love with them for eliminating Zambia so that Ivory Coast could go through? 
I think they're just mad for it, the Moroccans. <laughs> I yeah. think they just they just love it. No, I think they've got they know they've got a good team, and they've they, there's obviously the the kind of inherent uh, passion there in Morocco for their national team. So yeah, a lot of them are expected to travel to mm. Ivory Coast over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, believe they travel well. Very good, very good. Okay, knockout rounds. Uh, the round of sixteen uh, starts this Saturday. Uh, Joe, any thoughts uh, on the particular knockout round games? Any standout ones for you? Obviously, we've got the TSS Derby, Cape Verde, and Mauritania. Uh, any surprises we're expecting? Maybe you do love predictions, after all. Oh, of course, Every, everybody knows that. I, I do have How my many eyes. shots on target. <laughs> yeah, over <laughs> under four and a half shots on target. No, uh, I, I've got my eyes on obviously the Senegal Ivory Coast game. Uh, as I've said, an upset would not shock me, even though I'm still expecting Senegal to go through. In terms of other teams that I, I think could make a run, uh, Mali is still on that list, at least for them to win this first first game. I could see Equatorial Guinea continuing, Ivory Coast continuing, maybe even Angola continuing. All three of those teams, credit to them for finishing where they did, have fairly straightforward or at least winnable games in this opening round. At the same time, Namibia taking down Angola, would that really surprise any of us? Mauritania taking down Cape Verde, would that really surprise? Or even you look at, you know, uh, what is it, Guinea taking on Equatorial Guinea. All of those feel like you know, upsets based on seeding that are possible, even though they're probably much more even games than that in reality. All right, Taylor, uh, any games you're particularly looking forward to? It does seem like Senegal Ivory Coast might be the, the, the marquee event here. Yeah, I think Nigeria Cameroon also has a... a a potential for enjoyable chaos uh, one way or the other. So I think that that will be a fun one uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, certainly Senegal, Ivory Coast. And then with what Graham was just saying, I haven't watched nearly as much of South Africa as certainly Graham has. But with what he was saying about how they defend, uh, I do wonder if Morocco continued to be inefficient in front of goal, if that's one where we could see a big surprise, or maybe that goes to extra time or penalties or something like that. I, I would still expect Morocco to get out, but I, I yeah. now look at that one as a team that I am very hyped up on, think can can be invincible and, and score four and five goals, and then suddenly it's nil-nil in the 75th minute. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Taylor. I think that the Morocco-South Africa matchup maybe benefits Morocco, actually, where South Africa, certainly what I've seen of them so far, they're going to want the ball, and I think Morocco setting up against okay. the ball, that, that's what they like to do in knockout games, so... Um, I'm, I, I haven't been super impressed by Morocco, but I think that I would have them in the, the quarterfinals. Ryan, do you want me to give you eight winners? I'm an idiot. I'll put my neck on the line. Do and, it. Do it. Right. Angola, Nigeria, Equatorial Guinea, uh, DR Congo, Cape Verde, wow. Senegal, Mali, Morocco. That's my quarterfinalists. Okay. Okay. Now I kind of want to do it just because I want to be cool like Graham. All right. Can I do it? Ryan, please, please, <laughs> please. May I? I'll allow it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I have Nigeria and I have Angola. I have Cape Verde and I have Morocco. That's one half of the bracket. I have Mali, I have Senegal, I have Egypt, and I have Guinea. Those are my those are my eight picks across the board. May the mess band win, Graham. And, and I will go <laughs> with the exact same picks as Joe until we get to the bottom where I will take Equatorial Guinea. Very nice. There, go. there we go. Morocco and Senegal on other uh, opposite sides of the bracket, by the way. Just uh, just saying there. Ryan, do your picks or you're a coward. Do your picks or you're a coward. <laughs> Everybody, uh, come on now. All together. <laughs> do your picks or <laughs> you're a coward. Joe, same ones as you. How's that? How's that? There well we done. Go. I like it. Uh, so I, that felt a little begins. cowardly. That felt a little cowardly. <laughs> I am like a Wizard of Oz lion. Uh, round of 16 uh, this weekend. Quarterfinals start next Friday and Saturday. Semi-finals on February 7th. And the final of this contest, uh, the 11th of February. Super Bowl Sunday. Fun fact for you, Joe. Uh, last AFCON, 
got about 10 million more viewers worldwide than the Superb Owl wow. did. Hmm. That's yeah, amazing. Go. Good for AFCON. Yeah. AFCON's great. I love AFCON. More of it. Make yeah, it more. Are. 32 teams. 64 teams. Make it happen. Yeah. But the Super Bowl is the world championship. I don't understand. It is. It is. And you go to Disney World if you win, so I hear. Wonderful stuff indeed. And a wonderful episode of TSS, if I don't say so myself. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your part in that. Thank you, my friend. Joe Lowry, pleasure as always, my good man. Right back at you, Ryan. And Graham Ruthven, thanking you, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, you coward. Ah, listener, thank you the mostest for joining us on the feed. We'll be back very shortly, but for now, bye! <laughs>